Welcome to the podcast, Meet My Potential, where Deepa chats with leaders around the world once a week or simply shares her insights. This podcast is for those who aspire to meet their highest inner potential. Each episode brings you one simple tool that you can apply at work or in life. Hello and welcome to this episode on To Meditate is to Rebel. Today we have with us Betsy Pariel Pazard. Betsy was born in U.S. to Indian parents. She's been living in France for the last 18 years. Betsy has practiced different forms of mindfulness since 1998. And she shares her vision of mindfulness in prisons and homeless shelters and also with CEOs. Welcome, Betsy. Thank you, Deepa. So happy to be here. Yeah, so you've recently written a book on To Meditate is to Rebel. It's a very interesting topic. What inspired you to write this book? So I have been practicing mindfulness meditation for the last 12 years and practicing you know, journaling for 20 years. And it really is something that has helped me in many ways. That was the first motivation and helped me in everything from managing a personal existential crisis to developing my leadership. And I wanted to write a book about mindfulness for French people because I love France. And <laughs> after living here for so long, I, I, I began to understand the obstacles that French people had to mindfulness. And they often describe themselves as very rational and many people are not attracted to meditation. Right. And so I wanted to invite people to explore what meditation is from that rational perspective. And when I go into companies, I often talk about neuroscience and psychology and I explain all the benefits. But in this book, I really just engage in this conversation with the reader about life and about society and about our, our place and the order of things. I also wanted people to make this connection between meditation and social engagement and change making. And that's something that's not often spoken about when we talk about meditation. We often talk about well-being and stress. And I believe that there's this awareness that we develop when we meditate that allows us to see our connection to other people and, and to the problems in society. And so this book is also about connecting to that energy that we have inside of us to do something about the problems that we we see around us. Wow. Meditation was, in my understanding, something that allows you to become still, something that allows you to reflect and be um, have more conscious awareness of the impact that you're creating around you. And you're actually taking this a step further is becoming aware of the surrounding, the world that you're living in. Absolutely. So my work has led me to work with different kinds of people, as you mentioned. And there are people who are leaders and they're managing a great deal of power and they have a lot of people around them. And then there are other people who are very isolated, who are in different difficult situations. So in prisons, in, in poverty, people who are in emergency housing. And mindfulness has led me to observe how we are all connected to each other. And that sounds very cliche, but it's actually very rational when you start digging into to the idea we are actually interconnected. And in a false way, our society kind of separates us into these categories that um, keeps us from connecting to this potential that we have as a society. Hmm. What is the connection that you see? 
I see that not knowing what is happening, how other people are experiencing life keeps us from knowing a part of ourselves. So in experiences that I've had where I've brought people who are at, you know, at the top of companies to a very mindful, conscious dialogue with people who are in in distress in other situations, people who are in great need, from those conversations, there's often a lot of, you know, a, a great awareness that arises in both parties. And in one party, there's this feeling that, oh, this person who has everything that I would like to have in life is not different for me. So there's something kind of empowering about this idea of creating a friendship with someone who is in a different situation. And then on the on the side of the leader, the company leader who who is in such a great situation and in a privileged situation, I could say, that person will often understand that you know, that we have this public discourse about how everyone is, you know, equal and everyone is kind of my brother and my sister even. And the person may realize that, you know, if this person was my brother or my sister, they wouldn't be in this situation. So that creates a, a question, what do I need to be, you know, doing in my life or in my activities that will actually serve other people, other parts of the society? Going out from a more egocentrical approach to a more eco approach of how do I take responsibility for the world around me? Absolutely. Really create a a personal connection between the world you see around you and who you are as a person. Excellent. Thank you. What challenges do people face in practicing mindfulness, both for homeless people and for CEOs? There's several challenges, but the first thing would, for me would be that um, people often feel that it's this is not for me because I have a busy mind. I can't sit still. I have too much stress. I have too many problems. <laughs> and I have to take care of them and talk to them and exactly. <laughs> problem solve them. Absolutely. I can't. I don't have time for mindfulness. And that often comes from a misunderstanding of what mindfulness is, because you don't have to be less stressed to meditate. You don't have to have a calm mind. You don't have to have less problems. If I may just explain the process of mindfulness meditation, it's a series of four steps. So just the first step is you place your attention on your breath. And the second step, you are distracted by something, and that could be a thought or a feeling or sound. And then you become aware of that. And that's the third step. And then the fourth step is just placing your attention again on your breath. So the first thing you see is when you you see the process of of mindfulness meditation is that you see that distractions and seeing the distractions, they're part of the meditation. They're the second and the third step. And you begin to understand that this is just a kind of training. It's a kind of workout that allows you to have a greater knowledge of how your mind works. I, I like to demystify the <laughs> practice because it really is is not as complex as people imagine. Right. It is not as complex. And I started out this year by meditating 45 minutes every single day. And I, I must say that it has brought me immense, immense joy. And even though the problems and the challenges that I'm facing hasn't changed, what has changed is the place where I come from. And to go back to the second and the third step that you mentioned here, in the very first time, uh, the very first week when I was meditating that long, I think for about the first 30 minutes, it just took me time to realize that 
I was actually getting distracted. And I knew I was getting distracted, but I'm so caught up in my thought that it was only around the 30th minute that I was like, I realized I was actually entire 30 minutes sitting with this client at this workshop and planning that entire thing in my head. (laughs) And at the end of 30 minutes, I realized, oh my God, I need to bring my awareness back to my breath. Right. Yeah, right. And that's okay. You know, that, you know, that's just a piece of information that your mind is, is occupied and there's something very important on the table. And if uh, you can just see that, even if it took you 30 minutes, you became at some time aware of it. And, you know, there's something even a little comical about seeing how little mastery we have of this mental space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we like to think that we're very, you know, rational. We, we're, we're managing ourselves. And, and then we see, oh, I, I really have very little control over what's going on in my mind. And the, the first thing to do is just to accept that. You know, sometimes I will be very preoccupied and at other times my mind will be calmer and I'll be in a uh, a place that I feel more comfortable and all of those things are okay. Right, right. And and one of the challenges that I've personally faced, and I think a lot of uh, the people I work with also are like, how do I actually get myself to sit down? Yes, yes, that's difficult. So, (laughs) you know, we mentioned, you know, these these challenges that people may have in order to meditate. I believe the greatest challenge that I observe when I'm working with leaders, uh-huh. that there's this performance culture. And that I believe is what keeps us from, from sitting down. <laughs> it feels like sitting to meditate is something that takes us outside of our lives or outside of our efforts to get those results that we are looking for. Exactly. There's so much to do and so much to get done. Oh my God, my action list, my to-do list is so big and I can achieve and feel so good by getting things done. So why sit down? Right. And there's so many reasons to, to do that. But one of them is that you know, there's this invitation to, to stillness. I believe that stillness is a basic uh, leadership skill. I believe that the leaders of the future are people who are going to be able to create this environment that we really need. And the first thing I would say that as soon as you become aware of how much you don't want to sit, Mm -hmm. difficult it is to be still, you're already practicing. So that's the beginning of the practice. <laughs> so for those of you listening out there, well, you're already making an effort to becoming aware that you need to sit. Exactly. That's the beginning. There's no, because it's not a performance, getting yourself to sit, there's no medal, there's no cookie at the end. And it really is very counterintuitive. So there's no way to do it well. Either you meditate or you don't. But if even if you don't meditate, be aware that you're not doing it and that you're not, you know, if you want to do it and you're not doing it, just become aware of how does that work? What is, what is the conversation that you're having with yourself around it? You know, maybe bring some light to that. What's behind that? Why, why is it difficult for me to, to offer myself a couple minutes of my day when I spend, you know, how many hours serving, being there for other people, serving these organizations and these corporations? And why is it so hard for me to give to myself a couple minutes of 
what I'm giving to everybody else for hours from morning until evening. Mm-hmm. So can you go back into like the essentials of like, why is mindfulness becoming such a basic leadership skill today? Well, it seems to me, and this is my vision of things, that I believe that the world is getting safer in some ways. And at the same time, technologically and culturally, we have this sensation of acceleration. And so even if we're, there are less risks in some ways and there are less and we're safer in some ways, there's this general atmosphere of fear and anxiety. And I would say even angst, even existential angst. There's this you know, feeling like there's no meaning sometimes. And in my vision, we will be more attracted, more and more attracted to leaders who help us to experience something other than fear. And the leaders who are able to do that, they're going to have to work on their own fear first. And mindfulness is also a way of confronting difficult emotions. So one of the things that we do when we practice mindfulness is we dig into certain things to see how they work in a very rational way. How does that trigger me? In what situations does that arise? And how do I react to it? And so it's a very rational kind of lab-like experience where I learn to see the composition of my mind. And then I learn to operate from a deeper place of stillness within myself as a leader. And in general, you know, a basic leadership skill for the future is having extremely sensitive listening skills to be able to pick up on those weak signals that are in the environment and to anticipate the future and future movement. And Also, for leaders who are trying to get people to connect to their mission, uh, mindfulness helps people to connect on a different level and to create that meaning that people are looking for and to create that experience that people are looking for. So if I'm getting you right, mindfulness, number one, it helps you to listen at a much more deeper level to what's happening around you and also within you. Yes. And the second is it helps you to connect with people, connect also with yourself in a much more profound way. And therefore, if you're able to listen and connect both to yourself and to those around you, then you're in a much better position to lead people. Absolutely. I would also say that I believe that we have kind of encoded into us often a mission that we're not necessarily totally connecting to what we're doing on a daily basis. So mindfulness on a deeper level is a way of listening really deeply to what that mission is that wants to emerge from our lives. Right. And when I hear you say that, it's more about like, am I really acting from a place of being connected to my purpose, being connected to the purpose of this organization, rather than being caught up in the daily actions, in the details, and being caught up in this mode of acting from a place of perfectionism. And fear brings politics, fear brings uh, saving my own skin, fear brings trying to look good within the organization, then trying to do everything for towards the purpose. Yes. And it creates a lot of anxiety. It just creates these layers and layers of uh, fear on top of what we're doing. And so we don't realize that we could be actually, we could have this impact and we could be in action and we can get the results, but we, we don't necessarily have to have the experience of fear and anxiety that we're having. We can do that from a, a whole other place. Hmm. So what happens when we act from a place of fear? Can you give an example a concrete example from your experience? 
So I, I often listen to leaders talk about their successes and their failures, and I'm um, I'm often looking for some some pieces of information. One thing I often hear is there's a key moment when where the game changes, and that in that moment, the person is often kind of submerged by fear and fear of losing, and they start operating from from a different place. The other day, I was listening to a discussion with a presidential candidate and from one of the, the last elections. Talk about a moment where he came to a debate and he was less prepared than the other debates. And right after that, his popularity started to slide. And watching those numbers slide is very difficult, of course. And then what I heard is that he started to operate from another, you know, place of fear and starting to panic and not necessarily using his full capacities to make decisions from that moment on. So that's, you know, that's an example of how, you know, someone, how fear can kind of get the best of you. And even if, you know, you really have all of your maybe chances on your side, there can be a moment where you are submerged by fear and you start operating from another place. Yesterday evening, I was listening to a CEO talk about his company on a podcast. He was talking about how at one point, the company was in a grave situation, and he was submerged by the emotion of possibly losing the company and not succeeding. And that night, he stayed up all night with his parents to find the solutions. And I was really inspired by that story because for me, that is um, key. When you transform your fear... Uh, what he was doing, he was just looking it in the eye instead of, you know, going and trying to forget about it and cover it up. He really looked it in the eye and it made him extremely creative. And so today, maybe eight, nine years later, he has this company that's flourishing. Um, but maybe there was something, you know, there was a key moment there where he had a choice between operating from fear and, or operating from his most creative self. Right. So... Yes, fear is normal. Fear will come up uh, no matter how much you're operating from a place of purpose from that creative space. Fear will come up and don't fear fear in itself. Look deep into your fear with courage and you will find a bright star or a diamond inside that that will help you get into the more creative side. Absolutely. There's a choice there and there's so much opportunity. Excellent. Excellent. So what is really important about leading from this place of stillness? So stillness is so uncommon in our society that when you bring stillness to a room or into a a group, it's very disruptive. So coming into the room, taking your time, that, that influences everyone. And that gives them space to access their own resources. And I believe that it gets people to bring their own, their best resources to a team or to a, you know, an organization or to the, to society. And stillness allows us to listen. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, it allows us to make room for other people to find their own source of leadership. And I believe that that's what that's exactly the skill we need in general in our society today. Um, it connects us to our intuition and it allows us to become sensitive to these weak signals and to indicators that maybe are intangible um, on some level. 
<laughs> and I, I also believe that stillness is a basic human need, to be, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that's where we go away for all these wonderful holidays, to find that moment of stillness from this crazy world that we keep running in. And uh, so much wisdom in what you just said. Stillness brings so much value in terms of being able to listen to yourself, listen to others, create room for yourself and others, allowing space for others to be in your heart. And you open up a different kind of a connection, as you just mentioned. Absolutely. So much value in stillness that helps you actually to move forward. And I keep saying this, the world won't change if you remain still. Your problems won't change if you remain still. And yet you can be so much more impactful if you just have that moment of stillness. You can move forward so much faster. Absolutely. There's that stillness in that time of meditation where you train your mind to see itself and see it the way it functions. And there's also bringing stillness to action. And that is very powerful. And people start to master this level of, of mindfulness is, you know, when you're speaking, when you are planning, when you are, you're getting people to think about something, just bringing your own inner stillness to those, that, that, that process is very powerful as well. Wow. Thank you so much. You have really inspired me to continue this practice of stillness. And I hope more people are listening will take one step further to practice a bit of stillness. And for those wanting to take one step forward, can you give one tip that will help people to meditate? One little tip is to start small. <laughs> you uh, you mentioned uh, meditating for 45 minutes. As people are just starting out, I would invite them to try two minutes, five minutes. What's important is to do this regularly, uh, not necessarily to do it for long periods of time. So having a, putting a habit into place, even if it's two, five, 10 minutes, just having a daily practice. I work with a meditation app, uh, but I also recommend having a teacher if that's possible. And really the, my most basic tip would be to start small. Is there an app that you would recommend? I personally work with the app Petit Bambou. And I'm actually the, the English voice of the application. Excellent. Wow. All right. So for those listening, if you want to listen to Betsy, you can listen to a guided meditation by her on Le Petit Bambou. On Petit Bambou as well. And in my book um, for French speakers, so the book Meditation sur Rebelé, it also has some guided meditations with it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bet Betsy. And before we close this episode, would you like to share one last message with the audience? Yes, I would love to. Uh, my message for your listeners would be that stillness is a resource and you always have it with you. And with a couple mindful breaths, you can change so many different things, even your hormone levels. And with a moment of silence, if you're in a leadership position, you can invite people to connect to their own resources. Thank you so much, Betsy. Just listening to your very calm, deep voice brings a moment of stillness here with us in this podcast. Thanks for being here with us. Thank you so much, Deepa. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you'd like to know more how you can meet your potential, check out www.meetmypotential.com. That's www.meetmypotential.com. 
join us again. And until then, stay cool.